he turned his back on his native borders and flew off to a faraway land alongside the merry ghost of freedom. Alexander Pushkin, Captive of the Caucasus, 1822 Twenty-five million years ago, two great land masses collided at a place we now call the intersection of Europe and Asia. They crashed against each other with such force that over time their edges soared skyward, crinkling together in a series of long accordion folds. A string of rugged peaks and valleys, running some 700 miles from northwest to southeast, rose up to separate the great expanse of the Eurasian steppe from the arid uplands of eastern Anatolia and western Persia. From the earliest times it has been called the Caucasus, the longest and loftiest of all mountain ranges, as Herodotus wrote in the 5th century BC, a place inhabited by many different tribes, most of whom live off wild scrub. I first saw the mountains from south of the main chain, in a village near Talavi, a city in eastern Georgia. The late afternoon was misty, but the wooded hills could be seen in the distance on the far side of the Alazani River, and beyond those the snow-capped peaks that mark the natural boundary between Georgia and the Russian republics of Chechnya and Dagestan. I saw all this from inside a rattletrap Zhiguli, the ubiquitous post-Soviet automobile, as it trundled down a rough road and into what looked like an abandoned soccer field. The car pulled up to a group of men sitting at a table outside a cinderblock hut. A small aluminum camper trailer was parked near the doorway. As I sat in the Zhiguli's passenger seat, wondering why my taxi driver had taken me here, a red-faced man with a wrestler's build walked around to my door. His breath was sour with vodka as he reached inside and tried to pull me through the window. When I resisted, he yanked open the door and hauled me out, intertwining his arms with mine as he frog-marched me around to the back of the car. I felt a sinking feeling in my stomach. I was on the periphery of the periphery, in the far reaches of the former Soviet Union, in a village on the outskirts of a provincial city, situated in a part of the country that rarely saw foreigners. No one knew where I was and I knew no one except for my Muslim driver, Mamed, and his mysterious Georgian friends, who were now pushing me toward the open door of the trailer. At that moment it all seemed terrifyingly clear. Mamed had sold me out. He had handed me over to a band of kidnappers who were now plotting how to make the most of their charge, an American, probably the first to have set foot in their village in recent memory. But it was all in good fun, an instance of the oppressive hospitality for which the Caucasus has long been famous. The drunken wrestler dragged me over to a table outside the cinderblock building, where his two even drunker friends and two very large prostitutes were enjoying a late lunch. I joined them for a piece of dry cake and several toasts to Georgian women, American women, and women in general. Later, I slunk back toward the Zhiguli and made my way to Mamed's house, where his aged mother offered me a bed for the night and breakfast the next morning before driving on to Tbilisi, the Georgian capital. He had made the stop, Mamed later told me, because the Georgians owed him some money, and he thought having a stranger along, especially an American, might shame them into paying up. It didn't. More than once during that trip I was convinced that I was being sold down the river, 
delivered into the hands of men who must surely have reckoned an American professor worth far more than they could earn by driving taxis or trading in the Talavi Bazaar. After all, the Caucasus, as guidebooks pointed out, is a place where kidnappings are not unusual and travel off the beaten path inadvisable, even in such a relatively safe place as Georgia. However, that evening I realized that I had become a captive of the Caucasus in a much more profound sense, captive to the common vision of this mountainous land as a place of both unimaginable beauty and everyday barbarity. I was in good company. The British painter Robert Kerr Porter viewed these mountains in 1817 from the opposite slope, atop a low hill on the northern plains near the Russian village of Severnaya. Hillocks rose from the steppe, leading on to higher forested ridges. Beyond those stood the granite face of the main chain, the perennial snow on the summits just...